1: President Biden has made some pretty big promises when it comes to climate change policy.
0: we will take steps towards my goal of achieving 100% carbon pollution-free electric sector by 2035. Transforming the American electric sector to produce power without carbon pollution will be a tremendous spur to job creation and economic competitiveness in the 21st century, not to mention the benefits to our health and to our environment. He's
1: also set a goal to cut the nation's emissions by at least 50% by the end of this decade. And since his tenure began, the Biden administration has taken steps to meet that goal and to define climate as a key priority. Some of the administration's efforts on this front were rewarded this week, as the Senate passed a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. In that was billions of dollars dedicated to countering climate change and helping the nation recover from climate disasters. Also in Congress this week, Democrats took steps toward an even bigger bill, supporting even more clean energy programs. If these two bills pass, they'll invest billions of dollars in a clean energy future for the U.S. And this action in Washington comes at a critical moment, as a major U.N. report this week warns that humans have pushed the climate into dangerous, unprecedented territory, unless greenhouse gas pollution falls dramatically. So will proposed actions from the Biden administration get us there? Do advocates feel Biden is going far enough to tackle climate change? And what happens next? This is Can He Do That? A podcast that explores the powers and limitations of American government in a time of deep division. I'm Allison Michaels. It seems to me like we unfortunately get devastating reports about the climate with some regularity these days. So why does this latest U.N. climate report matter?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question and an important one, too.
1: That's Brady Dennis. He's a Washington Post reporter focused on environmental policy and public health issues.
0: And, and the reason this one matters so much, I think, is because this is an assessment that's done by this really preeminent group of scientists from all over the world, about roughly every, say, six, seven, eight years. The last one was completed in 2014. And that was before the Paris Agreement existed. And it was a long time ago in the terms of science and how it's progressed and and also the climate and how it's progressing. And so these scientists, there were about 230 or so of them, relied on something like 14,000 scientific reports. This is really a comprehensive look at what the best science we have tells us today about climate change. So yes, you're absolutely right that we hear these trickles of news about climate with regularity. We're, we're sort of bombarded by that these days. This is really an effort to compile all that and to kind of say, looking around the world, what we know about the state of the planet and what science says about how the climate has changed and is changing and, and our role in that,
1: it's the report of all reports thus far, it sounds like. So let's go through some of what the findings of this assessment actually are. What does this report generally say about the health of the planet?
0: One, maybe not surprising, but important update here is that scientists are really telling us in their own scientific way that there's just really no doubt anymore that humans are fueling climate change. What would have been a hypothesis maybe four or five decades ago and sort of likely, but not 100% certain. Not that long ago, the scientists in this report this week say is quote, unequivocal that it's now an established scientific fact that that humans and our emissions, primarily through burning of fossil fuels are are causing the, the planet to, this, heat up. to the IPCC to the authors, and to everyone who has been involved in in this latest climate alarm, your work based on science, is particularly appreciated given the disruption of
2: COVID-19. You've been telling us for over three decades of the dangers of allowing the planet to warm. The world listened, but didn't hear.
0: The world listened, but it did not act strongly enough. And as a result, climate change is a problem that is here now. Nobody's safe, and it's getting worse faster. So with that in mind, they also say that we're changing the planet really in unprecedented ways. That includes everything from carbon dioxide in the air, uh, which is causing the, the earth to warm, to rising seas, to oceans that are getting more acidic, glaciers and ice sheets that are melting, and all the impacts that come with that on our everyday lives. You know, more heat waves like we've seen this summer out west, drought conditions that can lead to these terrible wildfires, more intense hurricanes and other kind of extreme weather flooding, that sort of thing. And they also say, not only are we causing that, but that we can expect all those impacts to get worse over time unless we really rapidly cut back on, on greenhouse gas emissions in a global way and, and really in a dramatic way.
1: You've covered climate change for for quite a long time. Does any of this come as a surprise to you? Was there anything in the report that really stood out to you as new information or more dire information than we've had in the past?
0: I think we all know and have read about the different ways that climate change is affecting people. One of the scientists said to us, what seems to be different now is that we're not, quote unquote, surprised as scientists by these things. These are the kind of impacts that we expected but it's a different thing to, to see them play out and, and to see them affect um, sort of every region in the world. And, and she said, maybe in the past when we've issued these, these warnings and these findings, it seemed kind of hypothetical or far off, but that these days you don't have to be a climate scientist, you don't have to have a PhD, you just have to be somebody who looks out your window to really understand what's going on. On the bad news ledger also, I guess, that the, the findings make pretty clear that we're, we're in for more of this In the coming years kind of no matter what we do which is not to sound completely hopeless but we can't turn off all our power plants and stop driving all our cars and and whatnot tomorrow so so our emissions and these worsening impacts and the warming of the earth is going to continue for some amount of time and so that is also a message in here
1: now we've seen a lot of really awful climate related events this summer wildfires extreme heat Earlier in Biden's administration, there were freezing temperatures causing power crises in several states. So how has the Biden administration been handling some of these climate emergencies? We talk a lot about what they can do to prevent these things in the future, but has the Biden administration responded to some of these climate crises in an appropriate way and an effective way?
0: Yeah, I think there's several different ways to think about that. One is that these incentives that you referenced, whether it's the Winter freeze in Texas or wildfires in California uh, heat waves in Oregon and, and other places really kind of put on full display how unprepared we are as a country to deal with with a lot of these impacts. I don't think that falls on any one administration, but it makes pretty clear that as a country we're just kind of woefully unprepared for for what may be coming. I do think the Biden administration has, again, used those incidents to say we need to find a way to be more prepared and we need to not only cut our emissions and things like that to prevent more climate change, but we need to adapt to what's coming. And I think you see that in some of the funding that either has passed or is proposed to put money to make communities around the country more resilient. Whether it's resilient to to rising seas, if you're a coastal community, or resilient to heat or wildfires or reducing the threat of wildfires, whatever it may be, I think we will see more money going into resilience. The question is whether it's enough and soon enough and and whether we sort of are able to cover all our bases and attack all the ways that we're unprepared.
1: It seems like there is a body of people who, despite words like unequivocal included in this report and the inevitability of what we see when we look outside, that still don't take climate science as truth. Does this report or this moment in time, does it do anything to change that, to influence the people who are climate science
0: deniers? I suspect the answer to that is is no. I mean, folks who have not been swayed uh, by the evidence to this point, I, I would think are unlikely to be swayed. Now, but I do think it's important to point out that this isn't sort of an even-handed he said she said weighing of the evidence. The vast, vast, overwhelming majority of the evidence is clear that that we are playing a role in the warming of the earth, and this is an established fact at this point. And so, the scientific community at least has moved beyond that argument, and really more is focusing on the the broader questions now of not whether this is happening, not whether climate change is real, but What do we do about it and at what pace and how big of a priority is it in in the list of, you know, priorities that the world is facing, the pandemic and so many other things? Those are things that that are really the big question marks going forward.
1: Yeah. And and part of that is where this fits into the list of priorities specifically for the Biden administration. So I just want to talk about that for a second. The former secretary of state John Kerry is now the Biden administration special envoy for climate. How has he publicly reacted to, to this report? How has the administration sort of responded to this news?
0: I think the Biden administration and President Biden and, and John Kerry have all said, this is just more evidence that w- the kinds of things we've proposed and and the fact that we've made climate change a priority is, is the right way to be going. That this is just really the latest signal and the latest evidence that we really, truly need to be moving as quickly as possible away from a world that That relies on fossil fuels and to find different ways to power our homes and electrify our cars and all sorts of things that will that will really slow the the rate of emissions around the world. That does leave open the question of how much they are getting done on that front and able to get done on that front. When you step back, the US is very important and it's the world's second largest emitting country, but it's still only about 14 or so percent of global emissions. So what the US does really matters, and it sets sort of a tone for a lot of the world. But it does really have to be a global effort to sort of turn the tide on the trajectory that we're heading.
1: Well, on the point of what we're doing here, the Senate this week passed the Bipartisan Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. What sorts of climate investments are in that bill?
0: Yeah, there are tens of billions of dollars for things like incentivizing clean energy and building electric charging stations, and prioritizing public transit, these kinds of things, it is certainly by any measure uh, a large amount of money, but also by any measure not nearly what President Biden and, and other Democrats had hoped to include in this bill. And they're obviously hoping for much broader and bigger funding to come out from this budget reconciliation bill that's working its way through the Congress right now. So a lot of that remains to be seen. But I mean, I think between the two, the Biden administration and Democrats are hoping to, to make a really big push on a lot of these efforts that they argue will create a lot of jobs, but also are aimed at, at combating climate change as well.
2: And as we continue working on a bipartisan infrastructure bill and a budget resolution, I have committed we will make historic investments in reversing climate change. I'm proud to say our Clean Cars for America is going to be a very big part of that. Democrats promised action on climate, and we're going to make it a vital part of the legislation we work on in the weeks to come.
0: If you're looking
2: for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find
0: it.
2: like no president ever has before, yet that's still not enough.
1: That's Jamal Rod. He's the co-founder and executive director of Evergreen Action, which is a climate change policy and advocacy organization. Jamal has been fighting for progressive change on climate policy, and I was curious for a climate activist's take on Biden's performance. So I asked him how he thinks Biden is doing on climate.
2: His legacy will be tested by Numerous issues, but none more so than climate change. They're going to judge him on whether he took bold enough action to defeat the climate crisis and create a new uh, economy run on 100% clean energy. Years from now, it'll be a question of whether we did enough or let the last best opportunity to reckon with this slip by. Frankly, at this point, if I had to give him a grade, it would be incomplete because it's not the first six months of matter. It's the next six months. You know, they started off boldly with a pause on fossil fuel leasing, ending the Keystone XL pipeline, appointing folks like Secretary Deb Holland, who cares about climate deeply at the Department of Interior, and Gina McCarthy to run the new White House Climate Office. These are all positive elements. Um, I I think it's just hard to say that anyone is doing enough right now. I, I think that they've done a lot of good. There's a lot to look back on that's positive as far as climate, but- it's not enough and there's more that needs to be done, can we pass a reconciliation bill in the next few months here that actually has bold standards in our most polluting sectors of our economy, that makes major investments to create the clean energy jobs that we need, that centers justice while doing it, that focuses on creating jobs and on the communities that have borne the brunt of the pollution, the communities hit first and worst by the climate crisis. if they don't get this reconciliation bill done, they're going to be coming with empty hands to Glasgow at the UN conference where we really need to show that America's back on the international stage as far as climate leadership.
1: And why is it so important for the U.S. to have a prominent role in fighting climate change?
2: We are the historical biggest uh, emitter of carbon emissions and we have to show leadership. And if we are asking the world to decarbonize by mid-century then we need to do that before then. And what's really important here is that we look at the reconciliation bill as a vehicle to tackling that goal. And there's a lot of provisions in the draft reconciliation bill and the budget top lines that could get us there. And one of the most important pieces of it is the clean electricity payment program that would act like a clean electricity standard. If we can clean up our electricity grid and then run everything on the grid, our EVs, our cars, our buildings, and then make the grid clean, that would take us a lot of the way there. And so I I really want us to see bold investments in the clean electricity grid. I really want to see us invest in environmental justice to meet the initiative to make 40% of our investments in black and brown and indigenous communities that have been hit first and worst by this crisis. We need to invest in clean buildings so that our buildings are run on that clean electricity sector and we need a green bank to help propel jobs and clean energy job creations. So those are the things that I'm looking for as the kind of key pieces we need in the reconciliation bill. We need to fight for them to be invested at at a, at a higher level and to keep those provisions in as we go through this process. But as a Good, positive first step. Those are in the bill as currently written now.
1: Now, all of these conversations in Congress are happening on the backdrop of the release of the new UN report this week. Experts are saying that this is yet another wake-up call to really act on climate change. So what do you think? Do you have hope that this moment will bring significant change?
2: You know, the takeaway from this report is that we don't need any more reports. Scientists have been telling us for years we need to act boldly now to prevent the worst impacts of climate change. I think of this summer, the summer of 2021, as a point when Americans realized that climate change is no longer a chart or a graph or happening in some far off future. It's happening in their communities right now, in communities across America. I'm from Seattle, which I was experiencing record breaking heat waves and that had the driest spring since 1924. California is a tinderbox waiting to explode with droughts and wildfires. We've seen extreme weather all across this nation. We've seen smoke from Western wildfires hit New York City and D.C. a few weeks ago. This is something that people are seeing with their own eyes that are feeling in their own lungs. And we may surpass the 1.5 degree warming threshold, but we have a window of opportunity to prevent the most dire outcomes and save lives. We need to take this opportunity with the stakes being so high.
1: So I'm curious for your perspective on this. Why do you think that climate change faces such difficult political circumstances? Why is climate a political problem?
2: Um, I think the basic problem is that the science around this has gotten polarized much like everything else in our society. The Republican Party in the United States is one of the only few in the international community that reject climate science and don't think that burning fossil fuels is a Systemic problem. This may be due to the fact that the Republican Party is bought and paid for by the fossil fuel industry. In case we have forgotten, because we keep hearing that 2014 has been the warmest year on record, I asked the chair, you know what this is? It's a snowball. And that's just from outside here. So it's very, very cold out, very unseasonal. So here, Mr. President, catch this. But Mm -hmm. it is a unique problem. In the world. You know, we've seen the Conservative Prime Minister Boris Johnson in the UK call for ending the sale of internal combustion engines in cars and promote EVs by uh, a date certain by 2035. Together, we can reduce our emissions, we can radically cut
0: our dependence on fossil fuels, we can change our agricultural practices, and in short, we can reverse the process by which. For centuries, humanity has been quilting our planet in a toxic
2: tea cozy of greenhouse gases. We've seen Arnold Merkel in Germany take bold steps to act on climate.
1: What we invest into climate change is expensive, but the impact of climate change costs even more. One flooding disaster on its own is not climate change. The increased frequency of them is. We must make big changes.
2: We do not have that same partnership here. So anything that can be done at the scale and scope of the crisis needs to be done on a partisan basis, which is unfortunate. But it, it is the reality.
1: All of this is pretty bleak. Are you hopeful that this administration can take enough steps to actually slow down the rate at which humans are contributing to climate change and put our planet in a better place for today and for the future? Do you do you believe that that can happen under this administration, or at least that the wheels could be set in motion here?
2: Yeah. I think the report also told us that if we make urgent and drastic reductions in carbon emissions— that we can stave off the worst impacts. And I think that's good news because it'll also just build a better future for us. You know, cleaner air will be better for us. <laughs> uh, running on clean energy will make our lives better. And I think that we have to think of this as an incredible opportunity. Uh, I worked; I used to work for uh, Governor Jay Inslee for a long time, and he had a line that sticks with me every day. We are the first generation to feel the sting of climate change, and we are the last generation that can do something about it. We are at this moment where we can do something about an existential issue. And I, I, I think that is an incredible opportunity for us, that we're almost lucky that we get to be a part of this band of folks that does the work to prevent warming as much as possible. Every fraction of a degree of warming we can prevent means lives, jobs, homes, and communities saved. And I think that's something positive to, to look forward to, that we get to do this work.
1: In a lot of climate news, there's often this sense of despair and helplessness. We know the planet will get hotter, but is our demise inevitable? I went back to reporter Brady Dennis to ask him if there's anything that concerned people can really do to combat climate change.
0: I've seen and heard the question a lot about both what can I do and what level of hope or hopelessness should I have about all this. And I guess there's a few things I'd say. I mean, obviously, on an individual level, there are a lot of actions that that we all could take and 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 anyone could read about these online to to shrink our own carbon footprints, that's not gonna get us globally too far. I mean, these are transformational changes that actually that really need to, to happen. But for an individual to to support groups that work on local levels of adaptation or resilience or support groups that look out for environmental justice. You can sort of multiply the power of an individual by by collective action. Obviously, who we vote for and who we put in office matters one way or the other, whatever folks believe. Certainly, these are decisions being made at the local, state, and certainly federal level about how we are going to go about fighting or not fighting climate change in the years ahead. So that, that's sort of the individual view. On the question of hope, I mean, these scientists, and we talked to a lot of them, my colleague Sarah Kaplan and I, like, how do you think about the question of, uh, is it too late or is there hope? And we kept getting the same message, a similar message again and again, which is, yes, like some bad things are going to happen. Some bad things have already happened. We can expect more to happen and and actually worse things to happen if we if we don't take action. But that doesn't mean that there's ever like a moment where it's too late to act, that we're somehow doomed. I mean, the point that they kept making was every fraction of a degree matters, every little bit of warming we avoid can be catastrophes that, that we don't have to experience. And so their, their message, I think, was pretty clearly that it's never too late uh, to take action and it might not be as much or as soon as we want, but there's never going to be a point when we can't make a better future for ourselves.
1: All right, Brady, thank you so much for your time. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? If you're interested in the status of each of Biden's environmental actions and want to track how much progress he's making, we have a wonderful graphic on our site at WashingtonPost.com. Otherwise, as always, thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Sharla Freeland and Arjun Singh with logo art from Greg Manifold and theme music by Ted Muldoon.